Thank you, Enoch. Appreciate that. So, who woke up this morning with a hymn, singing a hymn? <laughs> Think about that. Doesn't that happen quite often? I was singing a hymn that we sang last night at the service. Woke up with that hymn on my mind. That's, uh, you know, I think when we kind of get ourselves away from the world and we focus on worship and have that close association with the Lord that... That that's been my experience anyway. That I I wake up with a hymn that is on uh, on my mind. And to start our class today, I want to read the uh, the words of a hymn. That's uh, if you've got your handout still, it's page thirteen. Um, and I have there, kind of in the middle of the page, a hymn printed. It's only in the gray hymnal, so it's not in the blue. But this came to mind as I was making preparation for the class, and I want to start with that. It says, God, the source of light and beauty, grant response in sense and sight. Stir our minds to follow duty. Rouse our souls from earth-born night. Give us through our clouded vision clearer knowledge of thy will. Till thine undefeated purpose through our lives thou shalt fulfill. Great musician of the thunder, builder of the mountain range, painter of the sunset splendor, planner of the season's change, help us fill our lives with beauty, still the roar of guns and strife, Build thy kingdom of the future here within our daily life. Author of creation's being, thou hast shared our pain and loss. Though Christ, through Christ's gallant life of service shines the radiance of the cross. God, the source of light and beauty, faith assures thy reign above. Here on earth we heed thy presence. Teach us how to walk in love. That's hymn number 129 in the in the gray hymnal. And I saw, thought there were several things in that particular hymn that just went so nicely with the themes that we have been discussing this week. And it just, uh, I thought it painted a really pretty picture, and it actually speaks of that when it says, Painter of the Sunset Splendor, giving uh, honor to our Heavenly Father and what he's done, beautiful creation that uh, that he has made. So I just wanted to, to start with that. Um, today's theme, as we have heard, is the light of the body is the eye. And Eric mentioned it. I had to think about this particular theme and try to understand as we read these scriptures, you know, that go along with that that theme, what does that exactly mean to us? And I was thinking about my uh, uh, my son-in-law was here a couple times this week, and, and he's been um, under the weather. He's much better now, but a few days ago I looked at him, and I was like, are you feeling okay? Because his eyes look terrible. And I could tell by looking at his eyes. How many of you mothers especially have that uh, skill set where you can look at your children and just looking at their eyes, you can say, hey, you're not feeling good, are you? And uh, and it's pretty evident. And so the eyes give way to that. The eyes give that indication that that something, uh, something is going wrong. Uh, the other thing I thought about is... You know, when I was a young man or in college, I, I'd never skied before, snow skied on a mountain. And my buddies convinced me that that would be a good thing to do. And I went to school in western Texas, and about a four-hour drive was the mountains uh, in New Mexico. And we um, uh, went, went there to go skiing, and they were all professional skiers, I think. You know, they were going to go on these triple black diamond ski slopes with just looked to me like you were jumping off a cliff is what it looked like and I was like I'm not doing that and I ended up signing up for a class so I could learn how to snow ski on the bunny slopes they call them 
they were plenty steep for me. So, uh, but the one thing that stands out in my mind, you know, they teach you the basics of snow skiing. They teach you the the plow, you know, the snow plow where you put your skis, point them together, and that slows you down, at least theoretically. <laughs> That's what it was supposed to do. Uh, but the thing that stood out in my mind is as we were going down with the instructor, going slow down the hillside, he said, look over here, and we'd look over there, and miraculously we turned and went the direction that we were looking. And we'd get over here, and they said, now look over there, and you'd point your head that way, and you look, and I don't know what it was, but your feet would follow, and you would ski in that direction that you were looking. And that's, I think, the very simplistic lesson for today. I see some people smiling. You've experienced this, I know. Um, I think that's the lesson, you know, here today. You know, we're talking about the light of the body as the eye, and, and really I think what we're going to find is that the Lord calls us to have an eye that is single to him. Our eye needs to be on Him. And when our eyes are on the Lord and we're going in that direction, He fills us then with that light. And I think that's the simple message uh, for today. And we'll look at a few scriptures that that go along those lines. Is anything that I've said, has that stirred any thoughts in your mind this morning? Anybody have any comments before we move on into reading some scriptures? Brother Steve, Willie. There's a hymn we sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And when we think about that, uh, it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Thank you, Brother Steve. Brother Kyle. You were talking about how you can see in somebody's eyes, you know, you can see their expression of love or whatever. And I just remember, I don't know if Trisha or somebody, how you can look into some people's eyes and it's you can feel or see the evil. You know, you can sense that there's like no light in them at all. And so there's a, a great difference in how people perceive somebody's eyes. Yeah, very good, Kyle. And, and it kind of goes to what we talked about yesterday, you know, when there is definitely evil in this world and Satan has the ability to afflict the soul and what we talk about wrapping those chains around you yesterday and so while yes there can, we can see the light in people's eyes the opposite is true as well we can see the darkness Brother Ed kind of on the opposite side is uh, one of the most dangerous places to be when you're stopping a vehicle with your emergency lights on as law enforcement is on the side of the road because intoxicated drivers focus on them and they drive right into the police car and uh, you know the last thing they want to do is run have a run in with the police and they they just can't help it because that's where they focus and I think it's like that in the world is we're intoxicated by the worldly things that we're drawn into it and we just we run into it and uh, but keeping our eyes upon Christ we have a way uh, to avoid those things and go to higher ground thank you so much I would have never thought about that but that makes perfect sense yeah. well, let's take a look at our scriptures let's turn to the uh, the book of Matthew uh, the sixth chapter, and we'll we'll start at verse uh, 19. Eric read this uh, this morning. I'm going to read a little bit beyond where where he read as an introduction to our prayer service. Uh, Matthew chapter six, start at verse 19, and we'll read down through verse 24. It says, "Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where three thieves break through and steal." But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single to the glory of God, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light which is in thee be darkness, 
how great shall that darkness be? Now that was not a question. He wasn't asking how great shall that darkness be. He was making a statement. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. What is, what's mammon? What does it, not manna, mammon. Babylon? I have a, a little note in my scriptures that says wealth personified. Taking a personage or something like that. So wealth personified. You know, when I've read this scripture in the past, I always thought, you know, we're talking about uh, where your treasure is, you know, that's where... You know, that's where your heart's going to be. And then it, all of a sudden, it seems to me it jumps to the light of the body as the eye. It just seemed out of place. But as I read this in context, and these are this is Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount, right? And, and I read this in context. It, it actually took on a little bit different of a meaning, you know, for me. Because it speaks of the the treasure and not to seek for those things where moth and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal and then it goes to the eye and then it closes with this um, not serving two masters and one of those is wealth or Babylon or mammon is the word that's used so really it's a it's a bookend um uh, statement that the Lord is making, speaking of the wealth of the earth or Babylon, and then closing with that same thing. And in the middle, he gets to the heart of the matter, which is keeping your eye upon him. And it says, if your eye be single to the glory of God, then you shall be full of light. I wish I could have sat there on that hillside and listened to Christ teaching that sermon on the mount. Um, turn over in your Book of Mormons. Let's go to the third book of Nephi, chapter 5, verse 113. Actually, let's start at um, 110. And we'll read down to the end of the chapter. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single Single, thy, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. For either one he will hate the other and, and love the other. Sorry. For else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, did Joseph Smith plagiarize the Bible? Then explain to me why these words are almost exactly the same as in the New Testament. I'm being facetious with my question. Barb's got the answer up here. <laughs> Christ always says the same thing, doesn't he? It's not plagiarism at all. It's Christ coming and appearing to the Nephites and sharing the same message. What did we talk about yesterday or the day before? He doesn't have a shadow of turning to the right or to the left. His, worst, his course is one eternal round. I had a fellow that I worked with years ago when I was just right out of school, and he sat right next to me at a desk and and we'd talk, he was a Christian fellow, and we'd talk every once in a while. He knew I believed in the Book of Mormon. And he said, well, you know, that's all well and good, but 
Joseph Smith plagiarized in the Book of Mormon. I was like, what do you mean? He said, I can't tell you how many chapters of Isaiah he copied and put in the Book of Mormon. And I was like, well, I knew that was true. I knew that Isaiah was in the Book of Mormon, and I didn't have a good response, you know, as a young man at that time. And as the years went on, it I don't know if it dawned on me or if I was instructed, you know, by someone about that. But if you read it, it gives, um, it, it totally gives uh, Isaiah credit for those words. He says, let me quote to you Isaiah, the prophet. <laughs> so is it plagiarism? Plagiarism is when you steal something and you use it as your own in your own writing. So, Brother Scott, sorry I was waiting waiting too long to get to you there. I was just going to say, he can only plagiarize it if he wrote the Book of Mormon. He didn't write it, he translated it. That's it's just a translation. He just did the translate. He didn't, you know, so he couldn't, no, it's not plagiarism. Another good point. Thank you very so. much. Uh, Barb, did you have another comment? What Christ said. He could have only plagiarized that if he had copied it from someplace. He had he had translated it. The question would probably be, did he trans, translate it from what Jesus said and was written down? Um, what language specifically it was written down in probably was different than the language that Christ said it in originally. And so if he had plagiarized it, it might have had more of the Greek or the Egyptian versus probably just pure Hebrew, which he would have to translate at some point in time. Very good. Good observation. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of um, very substantive arguments for the Book of Mormon and the, the truth of it. And we just need to seek to continue to reason with each other and understand because we all we all learn from each other. I'll tell you, the teacher learns more than the students. I really appreciate the conversations we've had this week because I've even, I've learned a lot from you all, Brother Everett. Well, you read those things in the Book of Mormon. He was teaching the people of Nephi what he taught the people in Jerusalem. And as for Isaiah, they had that from the brass plates, which stated contained the five books of Moses, the history of the people of Israel down to Zedekiah, and the prophecies of the Holy Prophets down to Jeremiah. So therefore you would have Isaiah. You would have Isaiah, without a doubt. Yep. And exactly, Joseph Smith didn't write the book, he translated it. Yep. It was translated. You guys you guys are good. You're all on top of this. Brother Eric? Um, this, this statement, uh, if... Um, Let's see here. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? And you know, I in life, I, I you meet people, I've met people who the light of their eye is darkness. The thing that that they desire, they focus on is there's no light in it at all and and I think about that and and the darkness that those those people have and it's not that something couldn't take place in their life and they could change but I just think to myself uh I where I would be lost without the light of Christ I mean I rely on it you know daily to give me direction and uh uh, I just think, you know, what would it, what would life be like if you didn't know the Lord, and you, you would be walking in darkness. You would be walking. I don't know how people that don't know the Lord make it through the trials of life. I can't perceive it. I, I just don't know how you would make it with without Him. Let's go to Brenda and then Sister Eleanor. So many of you know that my favorite hymn is "Look for the Beautiful." And the first verse just goes through this darkness and, and light. And then it, and it builds on it from there, you know, when you choose choose the light. And it gives more advice on, on how to live. But, you know, sunshine and shadow are all around you. Looking at evil, you grope in the night. Looking at Jesus, 
you walk in the light. And then it just goes on, it just builds on that. You know, you think of the beautiful, talk of the beautiful, live for the beautiful, and each verse tells you how to do that. That's a very good observation. Sister Eleanor. Well, I was just thinking how careful we have to be. Have you ever looked at a person who is angry? Their eyes are not good. And so we've been warned that anger is a sin. And so we have to watch out for those things or the light of Christ disappears. Very good. Yeah, thank you. Sister Tiffany? I have written over here by Mammon, a God. In the Ten Commandments it says, you shall not have any other gods before me. So um, I don't know, a Mammon could be a God. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the physical world around us, money especially, can be a person's God, you know, if that's what you your entire focus is, you know, and in many ways you worship that. Yeah, it kind of is, uh, it, it's interesting to think about and some things that we definitely need to be careful of. You'll find that those who are lost usually become the greatest once they get the word, they become some of the greatest in preaching the word. Apostle Paul, yeah. But what is happening in these lost people is we talk about what is filling our heart. They're looking for something to fill their heart. And I, I call it self-medication. Drugs, alcohol, food, something to fill that void. void. Yeah. And there's nothing that will fill that void but Jesus Christ. Very good. Sister Nan. I think it's interesting how we were discussing how God created the darkness besides the light. And then as you read in one fourteen here, as it says, If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? And at first you'd say, well, how can you have a light that's dark? So it kind of gives me more understanding that that light that we're born with, as opposed to denying that light, what they're actually doing is inviting in the darkness that God created, and that's their light. It's actually a dark light as opposed to a bright light. That's a great observation. Um, no pun intended, great observation. <laughs> it in the hymn that I, I read to you, one of those verses says, Give us through our clouded vision clearer knowledge of thy will. I was thinking very similar to that, man. You know, we have um, we have a clouded vision sometimes, and our, our desire is that that become less and less clouded as we draw closer and closer to Christ. Or some people allow that clouded vision to become more and more clouded, until it becomes darkness, you know? Uh, Sister Pat. I think it's in what you were talking about in the definition of the difference between darkness and and light. And, and, and when we think that the Lord created all things, he created the night for us to sleep and to rest. And I was at a workshop once on brain health, and they had a doctor, and her specialty was sleep. And she talked about how our bodies are created in such a way that while we sleep, there's the different levels of sleep. When we go into the deeper sleep, it triggers something. And Doc Baker can probably share this more than I. It triggers a, the controls in the back with your hormones and stuff. And literally, it releases it, and it flows down our spine. And the body literally rebuilds. It rebuilds while we're asleep. It restores cells and different things. And, of course, as a child's group, uh, developing, they're literally growing. With us being adults, it's it's a rebuilding that's taking place. And so there's, she was cautioning that with parents, especially with children, with young people, young adults, that so often because of our society today with the lighting that they have, they're having games and stuff later in the night. And she had two young sons that were soccer players and how she had uh, a difference of opinion with these coaches because they were planning these events later and later into the night. And she she questioned them. She said, you know, she said they shouldn't be 
having these late games because she said they need to be at home they need to be asleep because their bodies need to be rebuilt and again it's part of god's great plan so in keeping with this when there is a time for darkness or night there is a purpose isn't that interesting yeah you can find so many examples of his fingerprint throughout all of creation and and i marvel at you know while he created um night he also created the moon to give a little bit of light and the stars to give a little bit of light so he didn't leave us in complete darkness he gave us some of that light even at the nighttime when we have to regenerate ourselves just for our own health. So that's pretty remarkable. Up here, Isaac, Sister Barb. I was just thinking about the two ends of the spectrum, as it were. They're both infinite, but at the light side of the meter, God is it. He's, quote-unquote, the end. And he is so intensely right that we have to become pure to be able to be in his presence because his glory is so intense. If that's the case, then that would also be true on the other side, that there are varying levels of darkness, but when it says how dark that would be, you're moving into the extremely intense darkness. You have to be really evil to move so close to Satan that you become as dark as he is. And to think that somebody... I hope that just as we cannot make ourselves pure, God has to help us with that. Nobody could actually make themselves pure darkness. They have to be willing to give themselves totally to Satan in order to do that. And I don't know. I've never met anybody. Of course, I've not met a whole lot of people, but I've never met anybody that I think could go that far that they would reach the extreme darkness, darker than anything that we can ever understand. Carl talked about being down in a cave like that. Carlsbad or someplace, where they take you down in the cars and then they get down to the bottom and all the light goes off. Turn the lights off, yeah. And it's pitch black. And you can't see your hand in front of your face. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and they talked about that with the Nephites after Christ was crucified, that the intensity was so great that you couldn't even light a match, yeah. let alone have a match so that you could see anything. And that becomes, in essence, an example, I think, of the intensity of the darkness that is Satan. And most of us would look at that and go, oh my Lord, I do not ever want to be there. But if that's what's drawing people, we'd have to work very hard to find a way to bring them back from that. Yeah, we need to, I mean, that's part of our responsibility is to testify you know, to those that are in that darkness, as hard as that may seem. Uh, Isaac, over here, Lisa. I think that there are a lot of people who don't know Christ who are avoiding him intentionally because the light would expose things they're ashamed of or um, because they feel like, knowing Christ is just a a bunch of limitations and rules, not realizing that it is a freedom and an opportunity. And that is why our testimonies help convert them. Thank you for that. Well said. Sorry, Kyle. Maybe this will kind of bring us back. In Nephi 112, uh, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be but to tie it in with the eye that's what we see our treasures we see things and then that enters our heart and what does he ask for for us to have a pure heart and mind and think about television and everything everybody wants to be on american idol or whatever these shows and what we see what the world perceives they're not looking with their eyes to christ we look at our trip and that's where we spend our time 
I'm guilty of that. We spend so much time on other things. That's where our heart is. Because that's what we, our eyes are focused on and not Christ. It's all those superficial things, isn't it? Um, Some of you from Buckner have heard me say this before. So there was a a fellow that that passed away, and he asked to be able to take his uh, treasure with him. And so he had a wheelbarrow full of gold, and he brought it up to the gate, and St. Peter's there at the gate of heaven, and was asking to come in, and and he got, what do you got with me? He's like, this is my my greatest treasure that I accumulated. And he's and he looked down, and he's like, St. Peter says, you brought paving? Think about that. So where is, it's all a perspective, you know, is gold really a treasure when in heaven they use it to pave the streets so it's a funny story but um, thanks for humoring me (laughs) with that Uh, Greg did you have a comment no okay Sister Pat the sharing with about the eye and what we see perhaps this is the well we know it is the difference between night you know which is when we sleep but Darkness that we're referring to here with the scripture and what it's talking about is evil. And so when we pray that the Lord gives us spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear, it's seeing that. And uh, and with that, it was just, you know, that understanding that that comes. But in our, speaking of the evil in our land today, we had the opportunity the other day to go and witness uh, something has been prepared to allow our people to see and it's called the sound of freedom and it's about human trafficking and trafficking of children and it took them five years to make this particular story this, of these children and of this man who was uh, a representative an agent for the United States of Homeland Security and his responsibility in tracking and doing this to try to rescue children. And the story has been made, and the gentleman who plays the part of this agent in this story is the one who played Christ in the Passion. And his personal testimony was that the Lord had told him years ago when he was a young man that someday he was going to represent, portray by acting that which the Lord would have him to share. And he said that he had made the movie of, you know, with the Christ, the Passion. And he knew that for a certainty that that was something the Lord had wanted him to do, to witness for him. This story that he's now portraying as Tim Ballard is another story that he knows that the Lord wanted him to do. But it took him five years to make this movie, to get funding and everything. And every time they thought they was moving forward, the adversary put up roadblocks. But they just now finally got it out, and it's been showing over the 4th of July. They've got certain theaters to be willing to play it, and that's how we had the opportunity to witness it. But I'm just saying, when we talk about evil, this is evil. It's evil what's happened with the abortion within this country, but the Lord has blessed because the Supreme Court reversed the Roe versus Wade recently, and that was a step forward. But as a people... We must be diligent and diligent in this. But I would witness to you this day that it would be important for our people. It's a hard story to watch, but it's essential. The actor Jim Carverless, I believe is his name, he spoke at the end of this movie in the credits, and he asked that we as people in the United States would go to see this. He believes it will have the same effect on our nation as the book did um, Uncle Tom's Cabin, in the past over slavery, he said what is taking place with this has already gone beyond the slavery with what we had here during the Civil War and that it's surpassing the selling of arms. It's it's passing as far as it's a $150 billion industry. And a majority of what is taking place is taking place here in the United States. So while we as a people are blessed that we're not a part of that, in reality... We have been called to be the salt. And because this affects our children, we need to be aware as parents, as grandparents when we're out. Because, again, we think we are above this. 
And the Lord wants us to be the salt. Thank you, Sister Pat, for, for sharing that. There's so many things that we are just not even aware of that um, the light that we have in our lives could perhaps cast some light on this darkness that's in our world. And, and, and you're right, we need to stand as a, as a witness, a strong witness against uh, this evil, you know, that is in our country. And we don't always know exactly, you know, what to do, but we definitely can be prayerful about it. And and then if you listen to the Lord's promptings and where He leads you to make a difference, and you can, you each individual can can make a difference. Let's uh, let's turn in our scriptures. Let's go to Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section six, verse three b. Similar to what we've been talking about already, it says, uh, Seek not for riches, but for wisdom. And behold, the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you, and then shall ye be made rich. So this is a different richness than the treasures of earth or of mammon's store. This is the uh, richness of wisdom. What comes with wisdom it says the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto you, but we have to seek those things. So remember, this is where we get back to our theme for today, where the light of the body is the eye, and where we put our eye, whether we're skiing in the snow. That's the direction that we go. So if we put our eye upon Christ and upon seeking his wisdom, then he will unfold these mysteries to us. It takes some work on our part. Just reading a chapter in, pick one of the prophets, Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah, just reading that particular chapter doesn't give us a complete understanding of it. You have to read it over and over again and then compare it to other scriptures that talk about some of the similar things so you can gain an understanding to gain that wisdom. And that's, I think, what we're all after. We'd like to be able to gain that wisdom and seek that out um, so that we can be made rich. Such an interesting thought, isn't it? That we can be made rich. Um, Let's look at another scripture. This is in the the Book of Mormon. Uh, In Mormon, and verse chapter 4, start at verse uh, 17, Mormon chapter 4, verse 17, read down through verse 20. It says, I am the son of Mormon, so this is Moroni speaking, I am the son of Mormon, and my father was a descendant of Nephi, and I am the same who hideth up this record unto the Lord. The plates thereof are of no worth because of the commandment of the Lord. For he truly saith that no one shall have them to get gain, but the record thereof is of great worth. And whoso shall bring it to light, him will the Lord bless. For no one can have power to bring it to light, save it be given him of God. For God will that it shall be done with an eye single to his glory or the welfare of the ancient and long-dispersed covenant people of the Lord. And blessed blessed be him that shall bring this to light, for it shall be brought out of darkness and into light according to the word of God. So here we have, you know, a discussion of the, the gold plates, the plates upon which the record of the Book of Mormon was given, and that these will be brought into light with an eye single to his glory. And he 
I don't know, you know, what the uh, what the plates that the Book of Mormon came from. We know the size of them, about six by nine inches, I think it was, is the description in church history. How thick were they? Do you remember? Well, the thin individual plates were, but as in a volume, they they were pretty thick. It, it was heavy. You know, if you read uh, Inez Smith Davis's book, of The Story of the Church, she gives a little bit more of a description. It's not like you could pick them up like we do our scriptures and walk around with one hand. They were pretty heavy, and um, they were gold. <laughs> there was a lot of monetary value to the gold that was contained there it was it was like he I was going to say it's like he put the record on paving to go back to my joke earlier and that probably wasn't a good idea to say that uh, so forgive me for that Lord um, but the value was in the record that was contained on them. that's the point of it. the appearance of gold I think they were made out of gold yeah, an ally. You missed that class, <laughs> Eric. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, you know, uh, things that I've read said that you know they, um, if they were pure gold, the weight would have been probably over two hundred pounds. So uh, he describes them as golden plates, and you know, and so uh, having looked at other records and things that some people have other peoples have made uh, there was an alloy that they would make and it would be lighter than gold but still appear as gold and um, so that anyway that's no, all I, I agree with you and we, and we touched on that a few days ago Nephi read that scripture Nephi uh, made the observation that they found gold and, and silver and copper in in the land, and uh, I think that's probably the the uh, the ore that they combined together in an alloy to to make. That's just my assumption. Here, yeah, and I I guess there I know I read had read that they had found. I think it was down in Central America. There was an alloy that was made with gold. That it was such that when you scratched it. Uh, it not only left an indent, but it revealed some of this uh, other alloy, so it was actually a different color. If you you scratched off the off the gold, and there was a different color underneath, and so that was one thought that maybe that that's how the plates were made. But anyway. Maybe that gets back to the uh, what was the uh, plated gold gold plates gold plated. Well, you told me that the ancient Egyptians had electricity, so maybe <laughs> maybe the ancient Nephites did too. Well, who says they didn't have computers? That's a great question. Let's turn to um, Doctrine and Covenants, section 85. I want to look at verse uh, 18 to kind of continue on with this idea of the importance of our eye being single to the glory of God. So section 85, verse 18, I'm just going to read that whole verse. It says, And if your eye be single to my glory, your whole body shall be filled with light, and there shall be no darkness in you. And that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. Therefore sanctify yourselves that your minds become single to God and the days will come that you shall see him for he will unveil his face unto you and it shall be in his own time and in his own way and according to his own will. If your eye would be single to his glory then the promise is that we would be filled with with this light and I love that idea that we would comprehend things when the light rests upon us Sister Barb when we were talking about light versus darkness before 
it dawned on me that when they talk about the kingdom and the thousand years, there'll be no sun, there'll be no darkness, there'll be no day, no night, because Christ will be there. Christ is the light, so it will be pure light all the time. And that will be a place where there is no darkness, which is the same as, obviously we've been told for that thousand years, Lucifer will be restrained and will not come in. It's still the point, this is part of what I keep working through in my own head, that the celestial glory will be where Christ is and the light is always, because he is the light. The lower glories are going to have light, but it's reflected light. So it will be a little dimmer. Will there be reflected darkness? Uh, I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> well, I, do you understand why I'm kind of... I, I do. Um, you know, Satan will be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's the intense stuff. What's that? That's the, he's going to be where it's intensely dark. Intensely dark. Celestial glory. Is there a degree of darkness is kind of the question? I don't know of any scripture that references that. I don't either. It just, like I said, it just dawned on me the reason that Zion is pure light is because Christ is there. And that means that, yes, your eye will be single to his glory because his glory is the light. And you won't be able to miss it. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that I thought of as you were talking there, there's a scripture in Second Nephi chapter 1, right at the end of that chapter, that I think gives us a little bit of insight, you know, into that. Um, starting at verse 56, He gathereth his children from the four quarters of the earth, he numbers his sheep, and they know him. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And he shall feed his sheep, and in him they shall find pasture. And because of the righteousness of his people, Satan has no power. So here's an interesting thought. You know, we know that Satan will be bound for a thousand years, that millennial reign of Christ, where indeed he is the light of that kingdom that city of Zion, uh, where he is king of kings and lord of lords. And I've always had, I always in the past had envisioned the Lord binding Satan up, you know. And perhaps that's what he'll do. But think about it in context of the scripture that we just read. Because of the righteousness of his people, Satan has no power. That in and of itself binds him. When he has no power, he's bound and can't do anything. And it's because the people became so full of light. And their righteousness caused Satan to be without power. So I've always thought that was uh, that was kind of interesting. Uh, Brenda and then Pat. Say that again. That's right, City of Enoch, exactly. The exact manifestation of City of Enoch. Brenda? Well, I was just thinking that there's the the invert or the the inverse of that too, is that as the people are more wicked it probably gives Satan more power. Gives him more power. Yep. You're exactly right. Dad way there, go ahead. In the city of Enoch though, it took him a hundred years to become righteous enough to be taken up, so there must have been some sin there. I mean, otherwise yeah. they're taken they, up right away. They had to continue to work at it before they were what translated. To prepare for our yeah, be taken up. That's right. And, and so, and we also know that the scripture says that he'll be loosed then for a little season. So, does that mean righteousness? They're not as righteous, and because of that, it gives him power over them again. We don't have much information at all after the millennium. You know, other than talk about judgment. That 
Correct. Correct. It does imply that he'll be allowed to attempt. If they're still in Zion and in the light, he's still not going to affect them because they are eye single to the glory of God all the time. They're much like the Nephites and the Jaredites and others. They had Christ with them, but as they got further away from him, so the thousand years is now up, and are there going to be some? I always wondered about that, too. How could you be in the light for a thousand years and then walk out and say, no, I don't like the light? Um, But there, there could be some who developed pride or any of the other things that were downfalls that would Satan would then have a possible chance to take some away but it would be someone who would be weaker in the light I can't see how anybody could be but I think that's kind of the only ones Satan is going to trap are the ones who are willing to look at the darkness. So so let me ask you another question then. Um, Why did Laman and Lemuel, you think I'm changing the subject here, but I'm not. Why did Laman and Lemuel have to travel with Lehi and his family to the promised land? They were nothing but trouble. The whole time, they were murmuring. They didn't want to do things. And ultimately, they split and there became the Lamanites and the Nephites. So why did they have to come? They had to because there had to be choice. There had to be choice. Same thing with the millennium. Yeah. It, it, is, it is part of the plan of our God, you know, that he, he wants a people that love him because they chose to right. love him. And that's our agency, isn't it? That, that is our agency, brothers and sisters. And so I think the people that that are raised in that time of millennium in this perfect condition of righteousness where Christ is there, you know, and they can sit at his feet and worship, he's still at the end of that time going to want them to make that choice themselves. And and I think that's probably the reason that we have that little season that Satan is going to be loosed. So a lot of hands. Let me do this real quick. I know Pat's been waiting, but let's get Wayne and then Pat, and then we'll come over to Nan. Those that knew no law will be coming into the first resurrection, or coming with the first resurrection. And so they will be there having had no law. And so they will need an opportunity to choose, which would be one good explanation, at least for the little season. Very good. Um, Go to Pat. of questions here now since the others have been answering. First of all, when you were talking about uh, the light, the light of God, and the might is, and then the brother over here said, you know, because that triggered the thought about Zion and how the people won't come up unto Zion because they'll be fearful of us. Well, it'll be that light. I was thinking in connection with Moses when he was on the mountain with the Lord, and Literally, the Lord's presence just, it, it was like it melted Moses. I mean, he, he, he couldn't, you know, he could only get so close. Uh, the brother of Jared, when they went, he got the stones and he asked the Lord to touch, you know, for the light, for the darkness. But when it comes to our agency and it comes to Lucifer, he was the son of the morning. Is that correct? Correct. That was his title? Yep. And, and, and he was one of the Lord's. So he turned, he turned his back on the Lord and he walked away. Uh, there's things about whenever we have this discussion about him and whatever, I mean, I respect the fact that he is evil. So when we speak of him or talk of him, we need to be mindful of who we're making reference to. Yeah, don't take him on yourself. No. So when you ask of the Lord these these questions and stuff, but... The other thing is about Laman and Lemuel, we have families, we have children. Who of us would turn our backs on any one of them? We are children. We're children of the Lord. 
At any time, that's what we're talking about here. Something could happen. We could, you know, the adversary could deceive us. We could be blinded. So when we pray for one another, and again, forgive me for this. I made previous reference. When I made reference to this issue that's happening with the human slavery, one of the gentlemen that ended up helping in this was one like Paul who had persecuted him. And and forgive me, I'm not comparing him to Paul. But he was a man, and he had chosen life, and he had chosen evil things, and it had taken him in the wrong direction. And when he came upon this young woman, and he was given, and he says this, he was given the opportunity to look into her eyes. And he, the Lord showed him what she had been robbed of. It was when he repented and he turned. And he started doing everything within his power to find these children and to release them. So I'm saying when we talk of this darkness and this evil, it's in relationship to the fact that we are vulnerable. And that until we return to our Heavenly Father, and I believe every day is another lesson nay, for us to come closer to him we are vulnerable to that and collectively when we speak of zion in order for zion to be there has to be law now true we have our agency and and the lord holds us accountable for that which we know but to say that there isn't the law in zion it kind of is a contradiction you know help me understand what what's being said there as far as the difference that when we're speaking to the fact There'll be like a thousand years, and then you know, then it'll be opened up. What what is that? Um, what is that understanding that allows that to happen? They walk. They're going to walk away. The Lord will take down the protection. I mean, what what is going to happen there? We don't have much information on that, other than we know that Satan will be loosed a little season. That's all that. That's all that we say. That's all that that I know of, anyway. You know, and so. The, uh, we're making the comparison that um, those children that are raised in that righteousness with no temptation whatsoever will need to have an opportunity to be tried. Yeah, that, that's really all. So, thank you, Pat. Now, let's come over here to Nan. And while you're running over there, Isaac, I'm going to point you to Second Nephi, chapter one. Verse 95, I'll read this real quick. For there is a God, and he hath created all things, both the heavens and the earth, and all things that in them is, both things to act and things to be acted upon, and to bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man, after he has created our first parents, and the beasts of the fields, and the fowls of the air, and in fine all things which are created, it must needs be that there was an opposition even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life. And I'll let you all finish uh, reading that up on, on your own. But that... Okay. <laughs> Wherefore man could not act for himself, save it would be that he was enticed by one or the other. Thank you, Ed. Ma'am? Two things. Uh, when you were discussing why Satan would be released... We have to remember, not everyone is living in Zion at this time. There are many people outside of Zion that have not been in the circle of having Christ with them at all times. So that's partially why Satan will be released, because they will have to have their final judgment on their choices also. And then second, when she was discussing about having light in hell where Satan will be cast down, I know it means spiritually, but if fire is what fire is here physically, you can imagine how much more it will be spiritually. There will be more than enough light in hell even, but it's going to be a cleansing fire, and that's going to be very, very bright. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. It's good. Let me go to Sister Eleanor. I would like to suggest we look at Section 90 and uh, 4D, towards the end, it says, A fullness, uh, I'm sorry, and no man receiveth a fullness unless he keepeth his commandments. And he that that keepeth his commandments receive light, the truth and light, until he is glorified in truth and knoweth all things. And then if you skip down to C, 
5C, says, here is the agency of man, and here is the condemnation of man, because that which was from the beginning is plainly manifest unto them, and they receive not the light. And every man whose spirit receiveth not the light is under condemnation, for God is spirit. The rest of this also talks a lot about light. What a great section. That's section 90. She was reading from verse 4 there. Um, let's do this. We've, uh, we need to take a pause so that we can um, change the recording out. And so why don't we just take a break, about five minutes or so, and then we'll uh, start back up here at 11 o'clock. Great discussion, you all. Thank you.